Blog Talk Radio. of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. My name is Kim Lakin. I'm your host this evening, and my um, co-host, uh, survivor professional, will be on with us this evening as well, and I'll introduce her in just a minute. But um, we have a single purpose here at NASCA, and that is to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violence or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect, and we do so with only two goals. One, by educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, also known as CSA, presenting facts showing child abuse via pandemic, worldwide problems that affects everyone, and two, by offering hope and healing through numerous paths and providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone who's interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. And you can get some of that information on NASCA.org. So that's in, is it Nancy? A-A-S-C-A, NASCA.org. And um, there's so much information on there. Just You can find just about anything you're looking for on there. So this evening, we have... Um, they set our survivor professional on. I believe that's who is on this call here. Um, I don't don't know her number for sure, but you know what? I might just bring her on and make sure that I have the right one. <laughs> Hello, is this Deborah Schlack? Yes, it is. This is Pastor Deborah. Oh. Oh, Hello, thank you for being on. I'm sorry I wasn't sure because I was um, I'm filling in for Victoria. She was going to be on tonight, but she's not able to. So I, I okay. thought I would just check in. I can go ahead and introduce you like like we usually do. You want me to do that? Give your introduction? Yeah, that's <laughs> fine. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. okay. I just want to check and make sure. Okay, hold on a minute. Um, so uh, Pastor Deborah grew up all over the world in a military family where her mother was mentally ill and is now a survivor professional. She's living in Pensacola, Florida, and she's trained in ministry, mental health, working with substance abuse, 
and is a trauma-informed social worker, all in one. She volunteers with many community organizations. Pastor Deborah says she can minister by text, phone, Skype, or in person, and however the Lord directs her 24-7. I love that. She teaches that humans have three parts, being of spirit, soul, and the physical body, and believes that all three are very important and that each area needs care. We look forward to Pastor Deborah being an active member of the NAFTA family for a long time. <laughs> and so we're going to welcome her back on and we're you're on live then. I'll let you kind of take over. I don't know if you had a subject you were planning on talking about or what your plans yeah, are. I'll yeah. let you just say. <laughs> okay. okay, perfect. I was just going to say uh, one last person on you... the line. Okay, well, you yeah. can go ahead and introduce <laughs> them. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's um, our regular old friend, Philip. Hey, Philip. Hello. You're on. How are you guys? <laughs> Hi. Hello. Good. Glad you're with us. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Glad to be here. Glad you're here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. How are you guys doing? I'm doing, doing well. well. Good, Philip. Yeah. I'm doing good, Philip. Yeah. Ah. Okay, so we'll let you take over. I'll I'll be quiet now, and then you just let us know when, or if we have a question, maybe we'll pipe in or something. Okay. Any questions or. Or let us help. All right. You know. Yeah. I, a, <laughs> uh, I got a topic. It's called to sort of discuss and educate people on. It's called comfort or comforting versus healing. And um, a lot of us, uh, you know, that have been abused, uh, we do get triggered, or something happens, and we want to be comforted, you know, in our pain. So I was talking to another person and explaining what comfort is. Comfort is sort of a brother-sister type of relationship, a close friend. And they, you might be crying, upset, you know, hurting. And they take some time with you and they put their arms around you and let you cry. And they just listen and they accept, you know, what you're saying. And I wanted to go a little deeper with that word, comforting. So I went to the Webster's Dictionary, and here's what it meant. Strengthening and adding aid to giving some kind of assistance and support. Being a teacher, you always go to the definition of words. Because through culture, religion, mental health, our experiences, our definitions of words can all be different. So I like to go, I use Webster's Dictionary. It's been around a long time. If I want to know the Greek or the Hebrew or Aramaic definitions, I'll use the Strong's Concordance. So in Webster's Dictionary, the word comfort actually also means consolation in times of trouble or worry. Four, a feeling of relief or encouragement. Five, well-being. Six, a satisfying or enjoyable experience. Seven, one that gives or brings comfort. A lot of times we have situations where we need comforting. 
lot of us who have been abused when we were children, we turned to stuffed animals, we turned to dogs, we turned to our blankets. I was a thumb sucker. I sucked my, I sucked my thumb. And I had another thing where I would, you know, have a blanket and it was cool and I kind of held it close. So I had my ways of comfort when sometimes when we were children, we would eat a cookie, get some sugar. And the reason I bring up this, because many people think comfort is healing. That if I tell my story, I talk to a friend, they quietly listen. I've been in a support group, and I've been in many of those. I will get healing. And But what happens is during that time, we're getting comfort. People are listening. They might cry with us. Uh, they might put their arms around us. Some support groups don't let you do that. They just let you cry sort of by yourself. And uh, in some peer-to-peer support groups, I got some peer-to-peer training they had here in Pensacola, Florida. Because what had happened, a lot of people who had been abused had tried mental health counseling but did not seem to be able to get through to the therapist when they needed it. They didn't get the comfort that they needed. They didn't get an arm put around them when they needed that and in a peer-to-peer support group type or a group session you get that you feel comforted you feel that somebody is listening you get some support during that time you might be say telling your story or you're just having one of those moments you know (laughs) that you've just gotten overwhelmed and um so comfort is real important, but what I learned in looking up the words comfort and he- versus healing, comfort is not healing. It's a momentary time when somebody's upset and they need an arm around them, they need to hold a stuffed animal or their favorite blankie, uh, or in my case, it was suck my thumb, and um Other people, you know, eat. Uh, Other people do other things. In the peer-to-peer support world, when people are getting sort of anxious, they need a little widget in their hand. We used to do that years ago when we'd tap our pencil, you know, on our desk or we would, our feet would kind of go up. You know, we were experiencing something anxious and it was releasing tension. So in providing ministry... I have to know the difference, comfort versus healing. So, Philip, does that kind of seem to be some definitions that you can understand from the Webster's Dictionary about comfort? Yes. Okay. When somebody has been abused, okay, the child that most of us were, we find ways to get comforted. Now, we also will interpret that we are being loved back. But what's really happening, like when I was sucking my thumb and and holding a, a blankie or something, you know, close to me, I was 
getting comfort at that moment inside the biological brain and through my body's organs, you know, because our body is either pain or pleasure organ, my nerve endings were getting quiet. The neurons were calming down. Okay, maybe there was, you know, I had thoughts of something or something had just happened, a fight or something. Activity was going on in my soul, in my brain, and I needed to calm down the storm. So, you know, I thought peaceful ways to do that. And what happens is comfort. We will do self-comfort to ourselves. If there's nobody around that, say, can put their arm around us, you know, when we were little kids or as teenagers, especially most boys, they ain't going to have somebody put their arm around them, you know, that kind of thing. But they will go out on the basketball field and play with their buddies and have sort of a friendship during that time. And doing a physical activity changes the brain chemistry. So what had been sort of come on you after the abuse, okay, from whatever reasons, you calm all that storm down in your soul, in your nerves, through comfort. But then when I got into helping people in the spiritual ministry as a pastor, I realized people needed healing. I worked with people with multiple personalities. Okay, well, I didn't learn that in mental health counseling because your master's level person does not get it. Very few of your psychologists, your PhDs, decide to train in that. I did a lot of psychological testing uh, to find out if you were depressed or if you had multiple personalities, things like that. I did a lot of that. I worked with brain injury people, strokes, People have had head injuries. So I worked with brain deficits and both biological, neurological. Did a lot of testing to find out what, you know, is happening up in the brain and things like that. My son at five years old, he fell out of his bed and hit his head, had a head injury. Started having seizures where he would just blank out, walk away from me, walk out in the street and have no idea. Eventually, uh, he was doing that in school. They thought he was ADD. We put him on Ritalin, didn't change because ADD is 24-7. He wasn't like that at church or at home. We finally got him on Tegretol, which stopped the seizures, but his brain had to heal. And um, so it did. It took a long time. We had a lot of testing done, psychological, neuropsych, things like that. So I was very familiar with brain injuries. Now what happens in child abuse, not only is there physical things that happen to the body, nerves and pain and things like that, but if you get a head injury, that's going to cause other problems. But during the abuse time, there's a lot of hormones, chemicals, stimulation going on inside the brain. The event is being sort of immortalized in the Chemicals is in your brain, all your thoughts, all your pictures, your images, music that comes in, words, all gets 
translated into more chemical things, runs through the neurons, the dendrites, stored in places, and it can all be recalled based on release of hormones. So in abuse, cortisol is released, adrenaline is released, different hormones are released, uh, all kinds of chemical reactions are happening. And they subside after a while, and the child is usually very tired. So in studying helping people uh, to be healed from child abuse, a lot of people talk about, I need, I need to feel comforted. You know, will you hold me? Um, can I tell my story? You know, I want you to listen to me because it comforts me. It makes me feel that, you know, I'm accepted. But with all of that, the person is not healed. So let me give you a definition by Webster's Dictionary of what healing or uh, to heal means. And it's different than comfort. One, it means to make sound or whole like a wound. If you've got a wound, when the wound heals up, the, uh, it, the skin grows back, the blood vessels grow back. And there's no longer an open wound, a scratch. There's no infection. That's healed. Two, it's to restore to health. Three, to cause an undesirable condition to be overcome. Four, it's to patch up a breach or a division. Something's broken down, uh, sort of like a dam's broken. we got to fix it. It also means to restore to original purity or wholeness. And number six, to return to a sound state. So comfort versus healing. So when somebody's been abused, now they're adult, and they want to get healed and sort of get their life back and, and be in control and they don't want to get triggered and they don't want to have those times when a memory comes back. We need some healing versus comfort. And I explained to this lady, we can get comfort from our brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, pets, routines. Some people get go to work, they get comfort in going to a ball game. It's fun. Your mind is taken off of something. It's comfort, food, gambling. Some people... Uh, get comfort in drugs, alcohol, any kind of addiction or obsession. Um, you know, me with my son smoking. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> exercise. Yes, because when you exercise, you are releasing different hormones and chemicals in your body that bring a lot of pleasure. And so what happens is without a lot of abused people really knowing what to do, they're seeking comfort. They're, you know, something's happened, they yeah. have a memory, a trigger, uh, something comes up, somebody tells a story, uh, they hear, they read something, they watch something, they start crying, they get silent and stuff. Sometimes they don't know why. And they need some kind of comfort. That's where a lot of your 24-hour calls come in. I used to get them. They just want somebody to talk to, to get them through the time that they're sort of having bad memories. But that's not healing because the memories are still there. When I got into mental health counseling, that your job, you, their theory was 
if you tell your story to me what happened, and if you don't remember, I'll hypnotize you, and you can tell me from the deep, deep part of you, the subconscious part, and I can sort of re-hypnotize you, or we can reimagine this event happening in a different way to change what's going on inside of you. That was one way of mental health counseling. A lot of mental health counselors believe some of this stuff is genetic. If you have a parent, brother, that's sort of violent, sometimes sexual issues, some therapists and people believe that the genes for that can be passed along. So there's really nothing you can do except get on medication and let's kind of drug you out so you don't have, and if you get the right dosage, you won't have the thoughts. You won't hear the voices. You won't have the, the nightmares. You'll be able to sleep. So, But that's not healing either. Okay, That's sort of like masking over, sort of closing the door and letting the monster stay behind the door. But I was trained and educated to bring healing. How I learned how to do that was I first I had to know all the different kinds of abuse, what had happened to you physically, emotionally. I had to see what was the outcome of the abuse, the trauma as a child. And I had to figure out what do I do with all of this stuff that's inside of you, that's in your brain, that's happening to you spiritually. So I had to study all of that, and I did that to understand what really happens and to find the pathway, sort of the road to healing. Anybody have any questions so far? No. No? Okay. So when... <laughs> no, I have to get my mute on that note. <laughs> Do you have any, Kim? No, I... Um, okay. No, I can just relate a lot, but so thank you for bringing this subject tonight. Okay, because I think a lot of adults are confused. I'm not sure that they've really faced that they want to be healed, because they may not know what that would look like. When I work with, and I still do, a lot of people out of heavy-duty Satanism, occult, bad stuff, Let's say you got somebody that's in child pornography, grows up in it, ends up in all kinds of stuff. When you're growing up with abuse, you know the rules. You know how you're to respond. You're going to your multiple personalities. Another one comes up and deals with the situation. You got one, okay. But they don't know what healing without that system of multiple personalities would be like. Some people, as adults, even teenagers, so taken on the identity, the personality, of being a victim, that if they gave that up, you know, they got healed, and they were no longer a victim, then who would they be? How would they relate to other people? Some people end up getting on social, in America, they get on social security disability. Because of their abuse, they cannot work. So I would ask them if, because I work with the God of the Bible, 
if he healed you and you no longer have these mental health issues, these memories, the trauma, the triggering, you don't have that anymore, are you willing to give up your Social Security disability check and go to work like the rest of us when I was working in a job five days a week or more? Eight hours a day, are you willing to take care of your own kids, your, your parents, or whatever, take care of a house, do your housework, blah, blah, blah? you willing to do that. Most of them said no. They didn't want to do that. They didn't like their condition. But they didn't want to give up the money, and they didn't want to be responsible like everybody else. And they had so gotten used to this was their identity now. This is who they were who they had become, and they were so afraid, they didn't know who they would be, what the rules would be for their life, how they they would relate to other human beings, either in their family or relationships, without that victim identity. And I had, and so people have to be taught that when you say, you know, like Pastor Deborah, okay, my name used to be Jan, who I, okay, that part of me died on the inside of me by my own choice. And Pastor Deborah had to grow up, come come sort of, you might call it reincarnation, rebirth, whatever you want to call it, on the inside. My name is Deborah. Jan. I had been called Deb or Debbie by my parents, but in the fifth grade, we moved from Illinois to Alabama. I got my fifth grade class, and they were going to introduce me. We were in the military, and there was already three or four Debbies in the the room. So I said, oh, my name is Jan. Right then and there, I created and became Jan. Went home and told my parents and my brother, please call me that. That's who I am now. Jan's life from that point on, it was not good, okay? But eventually, that part that I had created by my own thing had to die within myself. And Pastor Deborah had to arise. I had to go through a transition and a transformation. So victims of child abuse need the same thing. And it took me about two years to do that. Now, Deborah is my first name. I studied my first name, what it meant. My name was Deborah Jan. So I didn't change my name. I just went back to my regular name, Deborah. So I've had that healing. Jan had issues. Jan was the one in the fifth grade where most of the ick happened. And she did some bad stuff herself. Should have been arrested a lot of times and never was. Jan had to pass away. Where'd she go? Who knows? But Deborah, who arose, had to learn how to look at Jan's life and go, I didn't live that. That was Jan that did that. I, Deborah, didn't live in that house. Those are not my parents. 
Whatever happened to Jan did not happen to me. Jan married that man. Jan's husband. Pastor Deborah's my mother. Inside. I, and then I would get tested. I'd have a, 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 I was in a spin class in a gym. And a guy came in and I looked at him. I go, oh, to myself, you used to live across from where Jan lived. And I said, if I go up to him and say, hey, do you remember me? I used to, you used to live across the street from me. I would have brought Jan myself to life, the Jan that had been abused, all the trauma, all the issues. By my own will, Jan came to life again. Even though I'd put Jan in the grave, sent, sent her off, bye, I would have brought her back. Ran into another lady in Walmart. And I looked at her through Deborah's eyes, and I go, I think I recognize her. But she walked up to me, and she goes, don't I know you? And I had to say, no, you don't. But I used to scuba dive with her as Jan, used to do other things as Jan. But if I had said, oh, yeah, you, yeah, I am Jan, and we used to do these things together, I would have brought Jan back alive myself. And I had to say to her, no, my name is Deborah. She said, well, you look familiar. I was tested to see was I going to stay in the Deborah personality or was I going to let this Jan who had been, you know, had all the issues with mental health and family come back alive. So I went through this healing process with inside of me. Now, I didn't go see a therapist. I actually, uh, being a minister, my healer became the Word of God. And God talked to me, and he said, you stay at home. I go, for what? He said, you need some healing. I go, for what? This is when Jan was near the end. How about 30, 40 years of it? For two years, I sat at home. Couldn't do ministry, didn't do anything, just read the Bible, worked out in the yard. And at the end of two years, I was released. Jan was gone. And then a lot of times, the transformation happens. This, The fullness of it happened when my father became injured and I had to become his power of attorney. And you have to use your full name and stuff, and that's Deborah. So for two years, it took, I changed my checking account. I changed everything that I had with Jan on it, and I became Deborah. So the Jan that had grown up in this family, the abuse, all the ick, died. Put it in a grave. But I could bring it back alive on my own if I wanted to. And Deborah, who I was, she had to look at things and go, I don't have the memory of living. I had this thought one time. I was passing through Montgomery on my way to Pittsburgh. And I had this thought. And I said, why don't I go by the house I used to live in? To see what it looks like, you know, memory. And I thought to myself, no, wait a minute. Jan lived there. But Deborah never did. Jan had those boyfriends. Jan had, was the one that had all that sex. Did all those drugs. Did all that dancing. 
not past the cover. So I had a battle inside of me because a thought would come, why don't I go by where I used to live? Why don't I acknowledge this person that Jan used to know? Okay? So early on in my transformation of healing, Jan, the thoughts were just trying, well, you're Jan. And he'd go, no. I put her in the tomb two years. I'm Pastor Deborah now. And I never had those experience. Those people, that mother that was not, that's not my mother. That's Jan's mother. Pastor Deborah didn't have that mother. It was a difficult time. So I understand when people have had sexual abuse, the trauma that gets going in the brain, all the biological things that happen to it, throw in drugs and alcohol and the triggering and, you know, continual, one of the best ways to continue reconditioning and strengthening somebody's memories and chemicals is re-abuse. You can see that if you watch the movie The Manchurian Candidate with Frank Sinatra. You will learn that after a while, uh, they, would, they would bring him in, the guy that was uh, triggered, uh, created by the North Koreans, I think. They would do some work with him to see how strong the programming was for him to be an assassin. And so they did that. So what happens with abused people is when you get triggered in any way through the five senses, through experience, typically what happens is a strengthening of of the condition, it gets reassured. And it's like it just never goes away. Are there any questions so far? I could... (laughs) I have... um... I guess I feel like maybe with me, I'm doing the opposite. It feels like to me, I was always in charge. Even at five years old, I was always taking care of everybody in my family. And and now my kids are grown and I'm like, no, I need somebody to take care of me. And then I've also lived in an emotionally abusive marriage and we're in the middle of Mm -hmm. getting divorced right now. So I'm ready to do things for myself and say, no, I need to start being a little more selfish, even though it's not really selfish. I know that, but it feels that way. It feels hard to do that because I've always just done the opposite. I've done what everybody else wanted and just been the sweet cam and I do, (laughs) you know, and so I'm just tired of that. And my family sees that or I stand up for myself more, you know, now where I didn't before. Right. So I think. I've almost gone the opposite, <laughs> I feel. Okay. Typically, when a, a person's been abused, they do go in, they have a, a personality and stuff. They want to protect other people. And it's sort of a guilt thing, like, if if I take care of you, maybe you won't hurt me. And it's sort of a self-protection, taking yeah. care of other people, okay? Because you take your mind off your problems. You're sort of trying to protect other people. But then when you go to sleep or you have some other stuff, you know, you're unprotected. And so we sort of overcompensate our, what, by helping other people. 
And typically, unless you've had some very deep healing, not comfort, you are going to make some bad decisions when it comes to a marriage partner. I like what Joyce Myers said years ago when she first married her husband. She said he must have felt like he was living with 28 different people. Now, she won't say it that she had multiple personalities, but she did. Because she she was abused by her father. It's there. We are wonderfully created beings. The Bible tells us if you think something in your heart, your mind, you are. God gave us this gift of survival for the spirit and the soul for children. It happens automatically. We become somebody else. We separate, we disassociate the feelings, the acts. One part of us, we think, survives if we have to become a dog, a cat, whatever, during that time. Our body goes through it. We can't stop it. We're too young. Our emotions are out of control. The chemicals are out. Uh, Hormones are turned on way before they're supposed to be. Everything's out of whack chemically. And trust has been broken. We've been abandoned, rejected. The anchor of love that's supposed to come from the mother. And so we're a mess. And what happens is that God knew that was going to happen And he provided a way of survival through disassociation. Even in mental health counseling, those people that train, they know that creating different identities, disassociation, is a defense mechanism of our brain, of our soul, our subconscious. And their feeling is, it's okay when it was happening when you were younger and everything you that needed. But now that you're older, you don't need all those parts. But what happens is, I, I, had, I had girls living in my home that were both had multiple personalities. And they'll see a therapist and they'll be on medication. And then they'll get tested by a psychologist, you know, for insurance procedures. But the system that is there will not openly say, by testing, which goes in the insurance, you know, your files, they will protect the system, okay? Because the system will protect itself. One of the great movies to watch this is Sybil and to see how she got triggered and how she went into her multiple but she was unaware of it, okay? Her, and show how her mother abused her and stuff. It's hard to watch. There's a lot of these kind of videos or true stories on YouTube. So multiple personalities is a defense mechanism, and we all have it. We all have different roles we play. I'm a wife, a mother, a grandmother. I was a worker, you know, your housekeeper. You know, we all go into different identities and roles. But we all have a name, okay? So sometimes, not everybody, healing in order to come out of this cycle of abuse and triggering, you know, that kind of thing, we need more than just comfort. We need more than just telling our story. We need healing. And it can come in many different ways. And I'm sure a lot of people need healing from drugs and alcohol. 
maybe poor nutrition. Maybe they haven't been sleeping right, so their their sleep stuff is all messed up. And they haven't been eating right, so they, you know, got other health issues. And, uh, you know, their relationships with the opposite sex or the same sex, it's all messed up. And there's usually just unresolved anger in there. And there's no place to put it. And who do you blame? Sometimes your parent, the person that did it is dead. And you're just a, a mess. And uh, so I wanted to bring up that topic of comfort versus healing. And uh, because it's real important when somebody is has been abused is to understand, one, what happened to them. And um, you may not know all the different reasons why it occurred, but you can understand that through study the biological things that happened, the mental things that happened, and then understand how there are parts in you frozen in time that are still being abused, locked behind doors, and it just takes a trigger and the re- abuse happens and in your dreams and how healing occurs. And typically, because I went through it, the personality, that part of us that's been abused has to find comfort and has to sort of go away. And another great movie to see this is the movie The Cell with Jennifer Lopez. She played a therapist who would go inside the minds of people. She was working with an autistic child, trying, she would lay on these tables, and she would go into his mind, try to locate this autistic child to talk to it, so it would come out of its autism, you know, and speak and talk. And uh, then what happened was some police brought her a bad guy it had something to do with a some girl was being killed they didn't know where she was so they thought they could use Jennifer Lopez skills going inside of a person in their mind finding this answers to save the girl and they in the movie with Jennifer Lopez did a great job it shows the different compartments rooms of this man's mind showed him at five years old being chased by a demonic spirit and, and he explained to her was he was getting baptized at five underwater and he almost drowned and this thing showed up it showed him uh, another compartment another a grown adult all the different were called personal identities they were powerful and it, and it was all inside this one guy and when she would come out she said he's too strong so i'm going to have to bring him into my world into my mind where I'm sort of the queen and I'm the healer and how she ended up uh, helping this person because he had a bad life was that she took the little boy and she placed him in water and he passed away. And, uh, so the, the core, the child that had caused all of this, the, the, the issue that had caused all of the problems, the incomplete baptism, the fear of death and stuff, when it got taken care of inside of him, he was able to pass away into death. But they did get the information from the little boy, you know, before it happened. 
So I would watch these kind of movies, and, and I was learning about what goes on on the inside of an abused person. And I had to learn a lot about mind control and programming and how it's done through abuse and the the smells and the colors and how the senses are so uh, enhanced during the abuse time. And if there's music played or a certain season, everything's connected. And, you know, I had to learn about integration personalities to start freeing, you know, people up and healing them. So I'll stop and see if anybody has any questions. I think that's it's fascinating. That's <laughs> um, all, you know, I've always wondered about those different things and also I think wondered if I don't at times have different personalities too because I think I've struggled and fought for so long you know to be heard or you know understood and mm. and it's like yeah I've been married 30 almost 34 years too I'm like you know mm-hmm. that, that's enough it's time that I kind of if there is somebody else that's able to to love me in a way that I deserve to be loved, then I I believe that God will bring them to me, and um, and it'll all you know fall into place. If not, I would rather be alone than to continue mm-hmm. to be in with somebody who is not able to ever. I mean, you know, ever meet those needs. And and I I noticed it a month after we got married. You know, kind of his. Well, abuse typically, just an abused person. Yeah. Okay. Typically, an abused yeah. person will end up with somebody who does not understand. In Joyce Meyer's case, he had prayed to God. He wanted to help a a woman. He just didn't know. Okay, that was his prayer. And he was friends with Joyce's uh, brother, I think. She'd She'd been abused as a child, and I think the family knew about it. She'd already been married once, had a kid, and they met. And God said, that's her. He didn't know what he was getting into, but he had prayed the prayer to help a girl. And uh, and then he discovered, and, he, and his story was he used to cry a lot, had to get in his car, go away. He didn't know what was wrong, and he didn't know anything. She wasn't talking, blah, blah, blah. Well, sometimes it happens, okay? And uh, another thing, uh, another movie is good to watch. It's called Marley, Marley, with Sean Connery, I think, and another lady. And it was about a girl whose mother was a prostitute or was a sex thing. And the girl got traffic, traffic and all kinds of stuff as a child, and she had that kind of life. And yet she, she got married, but she could never consummate the marriage. And so they had to finally confront her mother, and her mother finally told the story about what happened and stuff. So sometimes truth has to come out. Sometimes Joyce's story is really good. She talks about all the different – she went to therapy. She doesn't like to talk about it too much. Sure, she was on medication, and uh, but God took her years, and then she had to take care of her mother and father who got older and stuff, who abused her and stuff. But she took that and turned it into a worldwide ministry of helping people, you know, and understanding abuse and love and forgiveness and things like that. And but her husband Dave, he he talks about how rough it was with her because of her. 28 different personalities, but she doesn't talk a lot about the mental health part and that she probably had them and, you know, because that would be 
sort of in the min- in the ministry world, you would look be looked on and looked down on if you stated that that you had gone to therapy and God didn't heal you and you had personalities and blah blah blah. That just wouldn't fit in the religious circles very much, you know that kind of thing. She could have been on medication for a long time. You know, she smoked cigarettes teaching Bible studies. So she had some issues, and it took years, you know, and sometimes it takes God works slowly in people. Sometimes he has to wait until you're ready. I always had, I didn't want anything that was dark or ugly in me. I wanted to be clean on the inside. I wanted, I knew God could heal. I knew that. You know, and then you just turn it over to him, and he starts working. And sometimes with me, it's very drastic. It's it's cold turkey. It's this is what's going to happen. You got to do this two years. You stay at home. Okay, that, that's just that's me. Other people, it's different. Sometimes he heals. This one story uh, was a true story. It was about a young girl who had child abuse. She was horrible. And she would go to psychiatrist, and then, of course, the insurance would run out, and she ran into one guy, and her insurance ran out, and he said, that's okay, you're a human being, you've got problems, you keep coming. And she started getting healed of her multiple personalities at home. And I said, God, what is going on here? He never prayed for her. They never read the Bible together. I never did deliverance work. He said, yeah. But that man, that psychiatrist, loved another, loved her as a human being and kept seeing her and helping her without charging her any money. He says, I can work in that atmosphere between two people. She wanted to be healed. She wanted healing. He was trying to help her. I will work in that atmosphere. I will bring healing to her. And the enemy that caused us, no, kick him right in the fanny and I'll show them that no matter how bad it was I can still hear when there's an atmosphere of love not sexual but deep agape love between two people one trying to help the other I'll work and I go okay alright I had to have true stories I had to see it I had to read it I had to believe it that just getting comfort, it is good, and at the time it needs. You know, like I said, I sucked my thumb. I had to have braces from it. Some people turn to alcohol, sugar. You'll see that when kids are upset in Walmart. They're crying. Their mother or grandma gives them a cookie. Changes their biological body. They get addicted to sugar. And then when they grow up and they get stressed out, they go to cigarette smokes, alcohol, drugs, sex to bring peace. Because there's no peace in their life. So comfort can can become, you get comforted by winning the lotto, playing bingo. You get comfort from your everyday life and going to a ball game and, you know, pooping and hollering. And you buying, shopping, eating, drinking. Uh, some find it in sex, you know, because it's very pleasurable after the orgasm. Some people just want to zone out. So they watch all kinds of funny stuff on television, you know. 
And if you do, say, like aromatherapy, when you breathe in the aroma stuff, it goes up your nose right to your brain. It, it makes brain changes. You, so we're working through our five senses in our, in our soul, which is like a biological brain. But at the same time, we got a spirit in there. This is in the ministry part. That can also be abused and be tormented and have issues. So I had to learn how to work in all three areas and understand, you know, that kind of stuff. Any questions? Philip, I don't know if he's still there. He usually leaves kind of early. Kim, you got any questions? Maybe she's on mute. Huh? Are you there, Phyllis? Yeah, I'm here. I, I don't know. They've been having trouble lately, and sometimes it's, you know, they, I only get one person. But I guess we'll carry on, right? Have you been doing okay? Better than I used to be. Yesterday I had some anxiety. You had some anxiety? Okay. Do you know what anxiety is? It, a bad feeling, a nervous feeling, right? Anxiety is the medical, psychological term for fear. You were afraid of something. Fear of death is what it is. And when that hits you, that thought, the chemicals in your brain get changed, and you get nervous feelings in your nerves. There's an actual... I had to study it. There's an actual nerve called the vargus nerve. runs from the head all the way through your stomach and down. That's why when you get nervous, the the nerve in your stomach, remember, we're, a, uh, we're filled with nerves that receive pain or pleasure. We're a biochemical being, you know. So the mental health likes to use the word anxiety which sort of kind of dims down what's really going It's really the fear of death. That's what it is. You're afraid of dying. It's a big thing. Fear's there. Fear what? Death. And that's all it is. And But when that thought comes, chemicals are released, hormones are released, nerves are activated, memories are, you know, kicking off up there in the brain. The, the your Five senses are more alert because of all this, because you're in that fight or flight syndrome. Have you ever heard about that? Yes, a little bit. Okay, what it is is if your eyes say see smoke coming and fire out of an electrical outlet, your body within nanoseconds has to do two things. Either get up and run, so you need adrenaline, cortisol, you need some strength, energy, sugar, or you need to have the same stuff to put the fire out. So when fear comes, all of those hormones are released in your brain, and you're a mess, okay? That's about basically what it is. It's the fear of death. And it's chemically... Fear of death? Uh Uh-huh. That's what anxiety is, fear. Something's triggered your fear. Okay. And it's typically fear of death. It can be, fear can be magnetized. Uh, panic attacks, have you heard of them? 
Yes. They can be uh, very severe. And, um, but fear is really, um, probably in your world. But fear of death is so powerful. Okay. And, um, but that's what the panic attack, it means the hormones are so intense. They're just being released like a dam has broke. And, and you, it can happen. Uh, you get at a stoplight and you can't remember which way you're supposed to go, left or right or straight. And you panic. Fear sets in. Oh, okay. okay. And there springs from, like, somebody getting angry with you and being impatient with you. Like, for example, mm-hmm. if I was driving and my dad was yelling at me when the light turned green to go and telling me to uh-huh. hurry up, you know, when I was trying to do my thing or whatever, like, I might have flashbacks of that, and that might cause me to forget. Yeah, yeah. So, it's thoughts, memories, chemicals, neurochemicals, nerves, okay, all going off at the same time. Okay. Try to, and the reason how I had to learn this, because when I work with brain injury people, and you put the electrodes on their head, the, le- the electricity that's happening in their brain, it's all chemical, electrical. It's water, it's blood, sodium. You know, there's a biological brain up there, and it's got blood vessels in it, and it's got, the blood has to have water and stuff. And so we're supposed to be a, a balanced system. Okay, the right amount of water, nutrients, protein, calcium, not too thick of blood, okay, no obstructions in our system, but we have hormones because we live in a natural world where sometimes we've got to fight, so we need some strength and energy and sugar, and our muscles, and then sometimes we've got to run. We need the same chemicals to fight or run. It's going to happen, Okay. You come up and somebody runs a red light and almost hits you. <gasps> okay. Shock. Okay. But then it, a thought comes, I could have died. That's fear of death. So I don't like using, but that's the term that mental health and psychiatry use is anxiety. It really dims it down. It, it doesn't sound so bad, but it's really just fear. That's all. Um, I have and, to go. I have a meeting to go to. Okay. All right, I'd love to hear you take. Goodbye, guys. Thank you for talking to me. Bye. All right, Philip. All right, Kim. Have you got it? Hi, can you hear me now? Yes, ma'am. You you can hear me okay now? Okay, awesome. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. You must have been muted before. I was, and I have some new earbuds, and so I accidentally muted the earbuds. I don't usually mute them, and I couldn't get them undone. (laughs) So I'm learning my earbuds still. So I apologize about that, but I just lost Well, Philip filled in. Yeah, he he does real well. So we were talking about, you know, just memories, and he was talking about anxiety. And I was talking about comfort, you know, versus healing. And people that come to NASCA, uh, I hope all their goals are to get healed. You know, they might start off, you know, telling their story and finding comfort and that other people believe them of what happened. But then they need to take that next step of find 
somebody or some way to be healed. The problem is within a system when there's multiple personalities, you have some that don't want to get healed. And they don't know that they're even in, I think it was simple. She had one, she goes, I've never been abused. That's not my mama. That didn't happen to me. But this was her defense mechanism to survive it. So each of us have it, capable of doing it. And you might, uh, you know, as you're going through your divorce and stuff and wanting a quieter life, it might be the time that, you know, more healing is going to happen because you're not having to concentrate on other people. You can concentrate more on yourself. Okay. And um, that sometimes that's what's needed. Like why God sent me at home for two years? I don't know. He didn't tell me. He just said, that's what you're going to do. And I said, well, why? He says, you need healing. I go, from what? I mean, it didn't even click in my brain. He said, how about 30, 40 years of it? Now, he knows what's there. I don't have to know. And I don't have to know his way. Now, in mental health therapy, as we know, it costs money. And I used to work with people. They would get their uh, mental health counseling through their employment. Well, you got about three sessions that they would pay for, and that was about it. And then you had to pay. And you're going to come see me. You might start paying me $100 an hour for 50 minutes. And then if you need to see a psychiatrist once every three months, that might be $180. And then you have your medication on top of that. So healing becomes very expensive. And, you know, if you go to a a community mental health center, a lot of the therapists, they're not very, they got their own issues. And um, a lot of them are unresolved abuse people themselves, trying to help other people. And uh, so it gets rather expensive to seek healing. And most of your pastors have no training in it. They do not volunteer in any of the abuse shelters or anything like that. And they don't have, they haven't had the studies of that and they just, you know, don't have, know what to do. So the person who's been abused kind of just goes through life doing the best they can, you know, and that kind of thing. So what are your yeah. plans? Can you hear me? Can. Yes, ma'am, I can. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I accidentally touched them. They beeped again, so I went ahead and touched them again um, and made it happen. Um, yeah, I have, I have some ideas and luckily, you know, God, God did send me a man that at least took care of me financially. And I so appreciated that, you know, and I was able to raise our kids and now we have six grandkids and we have a home that we've been in for 28 years. So, you know, we'll be able to sell the home and flip that, um, you know, I just, I, I had just really, really struggled with the main thing was him trying, getting him to understand me at all. And, you know, he doesn't want to go to any kind of counseling unless I ask him for a divorce, then he's all up for counseling. <laughs> but, um, you know, but there's been many, many years and I, I spent you know, 30 years in our my church he didn't go to church with me when I was raising our kids and I took our kids 
because I wanted them to have that foundation as well. That was important to me. And mm-hmm. um, he just stayed home. He wasn't always working. Sometimes he was, but not always. And um, so now we're at the point, and I, I pray, I work in children's ministry, and I prayed for him and my you know, Bible study groups and everything. And I also worked in kind of ministry positions most of my life. And, um, and so I, you know, I, I also, this point, not that I don't, I don't probably do as much going to church as I used to. <laughs> and, uh-huh. um, I got, kind of pulled, that pulled me out of my church that I raised my kids in. And, um, it was very, obvious that I wouldn't be able to get into the child sexual abuse prevention area with their support and so I think that was needed at the time and I've been there for a long time and so um, and then COVID and all kinds of things happened and I had a bunch of surgeries and so I haven't got back into it and sometimes I'm just like you know I am tired because I worked a little bit in my church at that point throughout the Uh years that I was there, um, I saw a really bad side, you know, of the people that were there that, that Mm -hmm. ran the church. And, um, and then I was kind of pushed out in a way that wasn't very nice. And so, you know, there was a lot of hurt there and, and stuff. And I know that God isn't, God isn't those people in the church. And, but I have a hard time and I have gone to other churches since then, but I do have a hard time now trying to find a place that I can go to worship where I don't feel like I have to jump right in and get involved because I am that person that does everything. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay. the ten percent person. <laughs> One of the ten percent okay. people. <laughs> but that okay. starts to feel you know, and when if I'm there a few times then I do start to feel like I should help out and, you know, be a part. I can't always give a lot of money because I was always limited in that area um but you know i so i always volunteered my time and i don't mind doing that i wouldn't mind getting back into it but i've got to be able to set boundaries and so i think that god has really been working on me and he's you know i've been home for about 10 11 years now because I started watching my granddaughter. She's 11 now when, when she was born. Oh, okay. All right. In middle school. So, oh, my gosh. Okay. I'm not sure how that happened. But, <laughs> so, yeah, okay. I've been home. Well, but doing things, because I do, um, for the last eight years, I've been doing Darkness to Light, Tours of Children, which is, I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's a program that I can go out into my community and, and teach the adult okay. about well, let me child tell you. prevention. So, okay. yeah. I'm doing that still. So I spoke it out. Here's what slowly happened. Uh, I used to do all that. And then God said, you stay at home. And what happens is, we'll start with church. I did the same thing with you uh, as you did. Got kicked out of churches. I don't do church anymore. I watch for years online. You can get (laughs) your praise and worship, put music on at home, get on your knees, on your face. You can have a praise and worship yeah. at home. Because praise and worship is not fellowshipping with the people. And I get a lot of people, I go, honey, I'm going to fellowship with God. He's more important than you right now. And I've been there. I know how the religion works. What you need instead of fellowshipping, you need teaching. You need to go slow. That's why I give these words and definitions. 
You can get a lot now of church online. Church is there to teach the word. It's really not, and people are always supposed to fellowship. Oh, honey, been there, done that. I don't particularly want to fellowship with those people. Been there, don't need it. But I want teaching. So I was a member of the Bahamas Faith Ministries, watched it online because he was teaching on the kingdom. And you'll switch around, and there's some great teachers out there. And you watch them online now. So you're in church. You can donate ties to them yeah. if you want to. Okay. As we get older, okay, and our health and things is, and as you saw with COVID and the weather, most people are on social media now. They're getting their life lessons, their healing, their teaching on social media. They're going to YouTube, uh, Instagram, what Twitter. They are, are getting what they need, okay, teaching them how to pray, that deliverance on social media. I had to learn how to do that. I didn't fit in the box called religion. I even went to an LGBTQ church, got kicked out because they were afraid. I mean, I'm just loving them, and I'm volunteering Aww. in their ministry. They were afraid that I would speak something different than what they're for. Now, they had Holy Communion. I took part in it. They lifted up Jesus Christ. Okay, but I'm straight. They were afraid for their own. I said, that's right. I understand that. So I've been kicked out. Then some I've left. Oh. Oh, yeah, I can't go. can't go back there. Oh, there's, not a, there's a weird spirit there. Done that. Yeah. And then God would yeah. sit me at home for two years, like I said, in here. Well, what do you do? You go to the, you go to church in your Bible. There's a church online. You can sit there and watch people teach from years ago free. You can praise and worship. I used to praise and worship with music and dance in my living room and get on my knees and my face, have a prayer session, intercession. Okay, I can talk on the phone to people. That's fellowshipping with people. Okay, I can fellowship. I just fellowship with the neighbor. She's a godly woman, and we can fellowship. Okay. So you you have to learn with God. If you look at Christ Jesus, He's flexible. Sometimes He's with a group of people. Sometimes He's with He's always moving. So is Paul. I'm always moving, 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 moving. Never sitting still. I didn't stay in Jerusalem. I didn't stay in that temple. No, I go over here. No, I go over to Olive Garden. No, I'm going over here. No, I'm going over. Oh, I'm going to Martha and Mary's house. No, I'm going over here where they buried Lazarus. No, I'm going over here. I'm I'm gonna get on a boat and go over to that city and get that guy that's got demonic spirits. I'm moving, traveling. I'm gonna never stay in foot. But that's what religion wants you to stay. Keep yourself planted and give them ties because the religion, they count the members, they count how many people are coming. The pastors are graded in their denominations or not. How many new members? How much ties? And, and their reputation is built on it. I've been in every denomination possible. Okay. I've been to Christian <laughs> communes when in college with the hippies. Okay. So I had seen it all. Okay. Now because social media is all these pastors are recording their live, you know, things, you can get the teaching. But if you just want I have this one lady I minister to up in Georgia. She wants to fellowship. She has no friends. And she was severely sexually abused by her father who's now passed away. 
And she goes, of course, for free lunch and free food to the fellowship. And uh, because she doesn't know how to do it any other way, she's not, you know, but uh, that's how I do it. You know, you can talk on the phone and fellowship and get all that done. And, and you can do Bible studies on social media now and and do the Zoom and be in fellowshipping right there in your living room doing Zoom. And, oh, hi, honey, how are you doing, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and I had to learn to be flexible, okay? Because religion isn't going to get you to heaven. I'm in a kingdom. Jesus was very flexible. All the, all the early, okay? They didn't stay put in nothing. They roamed around, okay? And so I go, okay, you are my example that I'm to look at. Even God don't spend heaven. He comes down in dreams. He sends angels. He's busy. He doesn't stay put. He's moving, going, coming, going, doing it. So, so you learn. You have seasons of your life. Maybe marriage is one, no marriage and stuff. But you can keep learning and growing spiritually. You can keep getting healed. I do de- I do deliverance with people on LinkedIn in an email. They call me and say, will you pray for me? I got some negative stuff. No problem. I declare that that negative... Now, I know what I'm doing. But you can do deliverance work. Pray for people. See, get encouraged through videos about other people in prayer. You can join prayer meetings. They have those on you know, live teachings. Women ministers. And you don't have to leave your home. Okay? So I had to learn that. Yeah. Okay? And I had to accept that I didn't fit in that box of religion. But I don't, I pray, they're all going to be in heaven. I'll see them later. Okay, you stay in your box. But I'm just an out of box <laughs> person. Yeah. Okay, and and once I accept it, no, 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 I don't look bad on anybody yeah. going to church or that all that. Sense. Okay, that's fine. Okay, but I got things to do. I'm more like Paul. I try to find somebody in the Bible, okay, you know, that sort of fit me. And I saw what Jesus said, hey, go out and make disciples of everybody. Go and go, go, do. Don't sit there, go. So I go, well, at the time, you know, I I did outreach ministry, jail ministry, prison ministry, worked in community organizations. I was going. And there's a season for that. Then there's a season you come home and you go on social media. (laughs) You get older and you get tired. (laughs) It takes a lot of gas. And then COVID, you know, you just... And you'll find if you're more spiritual, you don't fit out in the community. Because they have their mental health way that they're going. And even though they're all Christians, they're all wonderful, loving people, that's just not how they do it out there. And you won't fit out there. And so I had to go through that. And, yeah, it's not pleasant, you know, but there's seasons to your life, and maybe God wants you to stay at home and just read the Word and and get some healing. And then you, you can write some, your story. I've written all my stories. I'm just putting them to video. Tell them about the death of Jan, the rising of Pastor Deborah. It's all on video. So to be there. Okay, I don't have to. Yeah, I'd love to. Come. Don't, I've been in two books. Lot. I haven't done my own. 
but I've been in, inside two books that were collaborations. Well, I've done that. I've written, yeah, and but I never planned to make a book, do a book tour, sell it. And when I discovered YouTube, which was for free, I, I think I have Zoom Pro, which I pay for, and Wondershare I pay for. I record myself reading my own book, send it out. I got a hank of not very many, but 173 subscribers, and God says that's your church. Anybody that watches a video is sitting in church with me. I'm a teacher. They look at it differently. And you know, some people come and they just, they visit, and if it's good, okay. And there's people there that they'll sit there and they'll never join the church, never pay tithes. They'll just come in and hear and they'll leave, and they'll never fellowship with anybody. You think the drug cartels are going to do that, or a prostitute, or somebody grown up uh, child abuse is going to come in there and do all that fellowshipping with people? I ain't going to do any of that. They might sit there and listen. That's about it. They now are listening on their phones. I do YouTube shorts. I'll get a hundred hundred views. It's only sixty seconds long, and you have you, you make videos. You can do audios, and you can. T- I'll take this and ask a. And I'll make a video out of it and put it on LinkedIn, Twitter. It'll be on my website. It'll be on um, YouTube. And over time, it just yeah. keeps getting views and views and views and views. So, yeah, you know, okay. Uh-huh. So that season's over with. The marriage is over with. Okay, but you're still here. And yeah. you still got to help people. You got to help those that have been, you know, child abuse and advocate and educate and do the radio show stuff and so uh, what I had to learn is what the topic was, comfort versus healing, is a lot of people, when they do come on and ask and they want to tell their story, they are seeking comfort. And by yeah. you guys listening, you know, intently to it, they get the comfort they need. But that's not healing. The issues are yeah. still there. Okay. Then when you get your Makes fullness sense. of your, he- your healing, you can tell your story without breaking down and crying. And you can reach other people who haven't gotten healed yet. But when you yourself need comforting, you can't really heal and be a part of the healing process because comfort's not healing. Okay? It's just bringing peace during a a troubled time. And I've got about 819. Is there anything you need to, you know, say about... (laughs) <laughs> or ask me a question um, about? No, that just all makes perfect sense. I think, um, you know, being in the position now of a host, I've been on NAFTA for a few years now. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. I do, I, I feel that. I can see the difference, you know, and, and now that I'm out educating people as well. So I kind of get both of those aspects in different ways. Um, and mm-hmm. I can see the difference in the education. The education makes me, when I go out and educate adults, that I can't imagine feeling any more rewarding in a job than doing that. And okay. I love That's it. That's because you're the time okay. I go. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and the so, reason you know, is, okay, yeah. the reason is you have, we all have that teaching quality, especially the mother's. Because we grew up teaching children. And that's why you always hear teachers in school, they just have this wonderful, they love to teach. 
the young people. Teachers are valuable. And uh, even in history, they were called master teachers. They would take the young people, the young adults, and train them up to be uh, ministers and government officials and understanding life and the country and the nation and would teach them through poetry and experiences. So teachers did high up. Now they had to be educated themselves and they had to do that, but not everybody's called to be a teacher like a a boot camp instructor. His tactics are tough, okay? But a mother, a female, is sort of a born teacher. The male teaches, but differently. Let's go play some sports. We're going to rough around. Oh, no. Blah, blah, blah. blah. No, teaches <laughs> Yeah. Different. But teaching's the background. If you study uh, human development, even in the womb, as soon as the baby comes out, we're looking at the eyes. It's listening. It's the five senses are being taught. They are... Teaching is valuable and words. And so what happens is this topic of child abuse has been so taboo. People don't want to think about it. You're blaming the parents. Oh, we don't want to talk about that. Just the bad guys, the human traffickers. You know, the human traffickers are not the first groomers of a child. It's the parents. They groom the child because of neglect, abuse, whatever. And the trafficker is sitting there waiting for a damaged product, a prey, to show up. But the parents are the first traffickers, abusers. Now, they don't want to go that society doesn't want to go into parenting. Because that means everybody is involved in this mess. Every auntie. Every grandma who raises kids, everybody, every school teacher. And they don't want to look at themselves. They want somebody else to be the bad guy. They don't want to talk about it. Okay? But I had to learn that I don't talk much about it. I just deal with things in prayer, spiritually, online. Okay? I don't challenge people. I, I, I tried that. That didn't work. Okay? They don't want to talk about it. But I tell you, if you pray, you say, God, I need so-and-so to have their eyes open. You give them a dream. You give them a spiritual experience. But they will believe what I'm saying. Okay, now here's the difference. You can believe it, but do nothing about it. You can believe it, but turn the other way. Okay, you can believe it, but deny it to yourself. And definitely deny it that you're an abuser to your wife, your kids. I didn't do that. Because they all have multiple personalities. They don't want to get caught. So you're dealing with some issues. But I got about 8.24, so there's about six minutes left. You want to finish up the show and play the music and wish everybody happy day or whatever? Yeah. And I'll see you <laughs> next month. And Kim, if you need Thank me you. during the month, if you need me and don't have a speaker, you know, I'm always available okay. for you guys. Because I know sometimes well, it might you. be a difficult speaker, even at the last minute. Okay? Yeah. So you go ahead and... Yeah. 
you. I've enjoyed having you. Yeah, me and Victoria. Most people don't realize I can talk the whole time. Me and Philip, we do just fine together. And you yeah. know, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to do the the computer stuff. So I need one person that you know can do all that stuff. But you know, you don't need two co-hosts with me because I'm the talker. But and, uh, <laughs> no, I, I, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine with me. I don't mind at all. I have enjoyed okay. listening to you because you've been very educational. So that's I well, I'm a that. topic. I'm a topic-oriented person and had both the mental health and the ministry side, so I understand that. And I'm just a, a, different than most people. I've never really had a big ministry that I run, you know, And um, but I do a lot on YouTube with the Hidden Kingdoms and stuff and just started a YouTube and music podcast. It's called The Voice of Light in the Darkness. Excellent stuff. And uh, so, like awesome. I said, if you need me any time during the, the month and you can't find anybody, I can work with anybody. I don't need but one person there. So you go ahead at 826 and close us out. Okay. Now, okay. Real quick, though, could you let everybody know exactly how to get hold of you? I know you, you want to give maybe your email or okay. okay. My email is is Pastor Deborah at agape love is here dot org. You can reach me at Twitter at Pastor Deborah at LinkedIn at Pastor Deborah. Uh, on YouTube on the Hidden Kingdoms channel. Uh, also on YouTube Shorts Pastor Deborah. I have a website www.agapeloveishere.org so you can, and my phone number is one eight five zero five zero one five zero four. I don't answer the phone, so I have to leave a message, and I'll call them back. Okay. Well, that's. Uh, yeah. I'm not on Facebook. I don't do Facebook. Not on Instagram. Okay. But those are the ones. Okay. The platforms. Oh, awesome! Oh. Thank you so much. And I may just call you personally sometime because I've really enjoyed. Well, I do that hearing a lot with a. I do that a lot when I ask the people. They call me, especially the leaders and executives, because they have a lot of carrying a lot of weight, and they they got decisions to make. And they being a minister, you're really kind of neutral. You know, you're trying to help people deal with leadership and heavy duty global stuff, and along with their personal stuff. So yeah, you're welcome to call me. that kind of thing. I can pray with you. We can do deliverance right on the phone. Okay. It's just, there's just no deal. Yeah, you don't have to be in church. Yeah. No, you don't have to. I, I agree with well, you. Thank you. <laughs> and I look forward to talking right. to you again soon. You have a great night. All right. Thanks for right. coming on. Okay. Okay, so bye. And thank you, everyone else who's been listening we're glad that you've been with us tonight and um as i like to say if you know there are enough adults eyes and ears out there in the world to watch out for every child so please if you see something please say something and help the child and have a good night everyone